Hello and welcome back to Witchfix. Today I'm talking about Dragon's Dogma again because I finally reached a point where I think I can safely say I'm about halfway through what's going on and I feel like I've hit my stride. In the first episode where I talked about Dragon's Dogma, uh, I've just listened to part of it just to remember where I was up to when I recorded that. I was very, very frustrated because I kept dying a lot and I just found out from googling things that... Um, I wasn't really meant to be doing a lot of the side quests yet. I was meant to be sort of sticking to the story missions until I hit levels of 25-ish. I've since found out a, a couple of things through trial and error and a lot of them made me feel very silly for not having spotted them earlier. But the bottom line of that is that shortly after I'd recorded that episode, the game got a lot easier for me. I was able to go up a number of levels and start doing side quests and I'm pleased to report that, touch wood, I haven't died for quite some time now. The first thing that I found out which made me feel like an absolute idiot, like a grade A certified idiot for not realising it sooner, was that my main pawn, dear old Gwendomir, I am actually meant to level up myself, which I hadn't realised because when I go in to talk to the man to learn new skills for myself, there's actually a little um, file tab at the top where if you use the bumper button you can go over to your main pawns tab and you can invest their points. So by the time I realised that I had about 40,000 discipline to spend on skills for Gwendomir, so I probably did that. I also realised that another thing that I've been really stupid in not thinking about sooner, I had to purchase and then have my pawns equip new gear, which had also not occurred to me at all. Uh, so I quickly went to the local armoury place when I arrived in Grand Sora in the capital city and I'd fortunately built up quite a lot of money by that point. I think I had about 80,000 gold or whatever the currency is uh, and I outfitted Gwendomir with a full set of armour, gave her a helmet, got her a new sword so she was very happy and that used up literally all of my money. <laughs> so uh, that was all very expensive. I also found out um, which again I hadn't realised but which I felt slightly not as bad about not having realised that the pawns that you kind of take on and hire from the rift they don't level up with you so I still had my original pawns with me who I think were Theodora I think one of them uh, was a lady an archer and she was level eight whereas I was by that point level 28 which sort of explained why she was hogging all the curatives and dying a lot so I realized that as much as I got used to having those pawns around they weren't really mine and I had to keep going to the rift and getting new pawns who were of a higher level uh, so that I could not spend all of my time in combat just shaking them awake when they pass out on the ground. So that happened. Uh, I also discovered rift stones, uh, port crystals, I forget what they're called, I think it's port crystals, uh, which is basically like a big crystal point that you can set down on the ground and then you can use um, a fairy stone to transport yourself back to it from wherever you happen to be and you can walk back to Grand Sorin and Cassidus which is the starting village without having to use one of those crystals at all which is very useful for me to have realised. I started finding port crystals when the first time I went down to the Everfall I found one sitting on a chair. Uh, I didn't really know what it was I just sort of put it in my inventory and forgot about it but um, 
it was when I googled to find out what they were for that I was like oh shit I can be putting these down and then I didn't have to walk across the whole map full of monsters and wolves and harpies to get to where I want to go so that's cool I think I've actually now got every port crystal that you can find and I've set them up at various points across the map just to make it easier for me to get there because some places are really quite far out of the way and you can lose a lot of health and health potions and health items just getting to where the actual mission is. I have tried to keep one of them in my inventory all the time because sometimes you get to somewhere and uh, you know that you're going to go in and have a, a massive fight so there was one a quest where I had to track an injured griffin to Blue Moon Tower, which is right the way all over the other fucking side of the map. And by the time I got there, I had been beaten into submission by lots of bandits. I had to kill a golem. I'd been attacked by like a swarm of harpies and a lot of blight wolves or when they're blight wolves, the white ones that are really fucking hard to kill. Anyway, I've been attacked by a lot of those. I was basically limping with like one arm half attached and just sort of dragging myself along by my toenails and then I realised I didn't have a port crystal with me and it would have been handy to set that down outside Blue Moon Tower, quickly teleport back to Grand Saw and load up on curatives and then come all the way back without, you know, having to walk. So that's a lesson that I've learnt. Buying curatives is also another thing. I was mostly previously going on what I could find. Um, you can find food items like pumpkins and berries and stuff, but they don't restore a lot of health. And you do find some bottles of potions like Interventive, which restore more health and can cure you of some of the debilitating effects that enemies can inflict on you, like blindness or being cursed. You can buy these from the herb shop in Grand Sorin and from some peddlers that you find in a few camps uh, around the ways and really it's probably one of the things I put most of my money into between missions I go to the shop and it's rather handy because you can skip between your pawns inventories so that when you buy things they go directly to the pawn instead of to you so I tend to stock up on some potions and some of the more common remedies uh, eye droppers which again cure the blindness which does make the whole screen go black and you can't see anything Secret softener, which is good for if you've been petrified by a cockatrice, which I'll get to in a minute because, man, fuck that cockatrice. And some various other ones. Uh, clean cloths as well for when you get soaked in water. I don't really know what getting soaked in water does, but it makes the pawns complain about it loudly, and that's annoying enough, frankly. So I did that. Um, finally got a handle on when to upgrade my equipment, how to upgrade my skills and the skills of my pawn. And I felt like I was sort of hitting my stride and, and getting on with things. I also got to explore Grand Sorin. I met the Duke and his really worryingly quite young wife. Like he looks about 48 and she looks about 10, which was really weird. According to the wiki page for Eleanor, who is the wife, she is meant to be 22, which is the same age as another character, Kina, who you meet, but Kina actually looks like a young woman, whereas Eleanor looks like, again, like a small child. And Celine, who is another character who shares that kind of eerie small child appearance, is a pawn, so I guess she's just basically immortal and looks the same however old she is. And because her arisen became an old lady and then I think died, um, I think she is like of quite a reasonable age, but it's still quite weird that they look the way that they do. And I don't really know why some characters who are that age look like adults and some don't. And maybe slightly uncomfortable. Um, 
And then he tried to like choke the life out of her and then I got arrested for trying to stop him. But then everyone seems to be pretending that that didn't happen. So that was a weird thing. So far, I've also managed to take down some of the bigger monsters. One of the things that absolutely slaughtered the hell out of me the first in and that I was talking about in the first episode was a chimera. I've now killed about five of those. They tend to be in like the same points on the map, so they're quite easy to avoid if you know where they are ahead of time, and also if you've set down your port crystals so you don't have to walk through those areas at all. I've also taken on a number of griffins, which are terrifying but also very pretty, uh, and they kind of swoop out of the sky and attack you, and you have to bring them down. And some of the side missions that I've managed to do involve them as well. Golems as well, that was very hard to kill, but I got through that. And the aforementioned cockatrice, which is like a giant turkey dragon, is the best way I can describe that. And it has the power to petrify people, unless you have the aforementioned cures on you to unpetrify yourself. One of the things that I'm still finding quite annoying is that in order to upgrade the weapons and armour of pawns, who are not my main pawn, but ones that I've sort of adopted from the rift, you have to spend money to buy them gear. You can't upgrade the gear that they already come with because that gear technically belongs to their owners. So when you buy them gear and give it to them, you can spend like quite a lot of money. And then when they die, you don't get that gear back. You do get um, everything that was in their inventory, so tools. Uh, you get back their curatives and various items that they've collected themselves. But you do not get back anything that you've given them to wear or to fight with. So you can lose quite a lot of money that way. I mention this now because before facing the cockatrice, I tooled up one of my borrowed pawns called Olivia, uh, who was wearing literally a skirt made of leather and a bikini and nothing else. So I bought her actual armour and a better bow and some better knives. And then she vanished in the cockatrice fight. I think she got petrified and just died instantly. There wasn't even an option for me to wake her up, which is one of the things you do when they go down. You sort of shake them awake and they get back up with half health. She just vanished and along with her went the 40 grand that I'd spent on kitting her out for this particular fight. And when I went to a riftstone to resummon Olivia, she didn't have any of the stuff that I'd given her, which was really, really annoying. So I've learnt my lesson on that one and now they're all just getting cast off stuff that I've found and can't use myself. What I've also found quite interesting is that there is more than one magical path and I don't know what I was looking at when I created my character because I didn't notice at the time but I chose to be a mage which is elemental and healing magic mostly so I spend quite a lot of my time either casting large fireballs at enemies or casting healing spells for my compatriots. Uh, you can also be a sorcerer, which is a different class, and I kind of wish I'd gone for that one, but I'm too scared to switch at this late point in the game. And that is apparently more offensive magic. So bottom line is, I guess, if you wanted to replay this game, and I probably will because I'm having quite a lot of fun, you can play as a magic character without having to use all the same powers all the time uh, and without having to do all the same things tactically. So that's sort of a one-up that it's got on games like Dragon Age because the experience of playing as a mage in any Dragon Age game really is very samey and you're basically going in to learn the spells that you normally learn because you prefer those and you'll get into the same rhythm very quickly whereas this I think you would have maybe a different experience. 
you can also as i sort of mentioned in that section change your speciality at any point um so you could just change and become someone else and you keep earning the experience that you need to learn new skills so theoretically you could play as a number of classes throughout the same game which is interesting because i suppose if you pick something and you're like actually a bow and arrow doesn't really seem like it's going to be that effective against a massive fuck off dragon you can change to someone whose leg is made of an axe or something speaking of the dragon i found and killed a random dragon in the wild which talked to me a lot about how it was my master so i kind of had the idea that maybe that was the dragon that stole my heart but it turns out it wasn't i was googling some stuff because i found this magic tablet that after i'd done some missions turned into a ring that i was meant to give my beloved and i didn't have a beloved so i googled try and find out if there was someone i was meant to be romancing and apparently you can romance any of the npcs in the game not your pawns though which is understandable because they're not really people in the sense that people are what annoys me about that is that in dragon age and games like that there's a point to romancing characters because they actually have a personality and you have interactions with them whereas dragon's dogma feels a bit like the fable series where yes you can seduce and marry basically any npc but you do so just by giving them presents and listening to the same line of dialogue that they say when you talk to them over and over again so it doesn't feel like there's much of a point however i did find out by googling it that in the confrontation with the actual dragon who stole your heart he has kidnapped your beloved and because i didn't actually know who that was i was quite interested to go into that confrontation and find out who the game thought that i was getting on best with and it turned out to be celine who is a witch who lives in the aptly named witchwood and again she looks super young she looks about 15 maybe she's got kind of like emo bunches and a really pretty dress and i quite liked her because she was obviously a witch which i was very interested in but you help her in a number of quests and it turns out that apparently the game had assumed that she was my beloved because of this and at that point when you go and confront the dragon it gives you a choice which is where i stopped the game yesterday after having made my choice and dealt with the consequences of that and the choice is that you can sacrifice your beloved and the dragon will make you the duke of grand soren and you'll be very powerful or you can attempt to fight the dragon and obviously possibly die and if the dragon beats you it will bring about the end of the world and you know the apocalypse so that was a pretty big decision to make although obviously i felt like fighting the dragon was the decision the game mostly wanted me to go for so that's what I did and there followed some of the most harrowing 40 minutes of gameplay that I've ever been through it was an actual fight to the death and incredibly cinematic and really quite well done I definitely felt at the end like I had accomplished something and been through something following the defeat of the dragon there was some cutscenes and the credits came up and I probably would have thought that that would be the end of the game had I not seen in the course of my googling uh, that there are some events that are described as post-dragon confrontation so I knew that there was part of the game to go after that happened um, the things that you see are various events surrounding other characters who you've met who are linked to the dragon in various ways there's a, a character called the dragon forged who's like a past arisen 
and the duke himself who is obviously the duke because he made the opposite choice to the one that i made in that dragon confrontation so it'll be interesting to see where the plot goes now that i've killed the dragon and to see what happens next i know that quite a lot of things change in the world after that and i've just appeared back in cassidus where it's raining embers and it seems very dark and stormy so it feels like nothing good is about to happen i'm a little bit afraid i in the end did end up giving the ring that i'd got from that tablet the ring that you're meant to give to your beloved i gave it to celine because celine is a witch and she makes beer so she's okay by me and she also now lives in my house so i feel like it's awkward if i just don't give her jewelry so overall i'm having a lot more of a, a better time with the game in general and i think that's mainly shallowly because i'm now not dying all the time and i feel like i'm actually good at it um, i wouldn't say that i still understand 100 percent of the gameplay mechanics and what's going on there are still a few things i've sort of elected to ignore the affinity system and the choosing of your beloved is, is one of those things that I didn't really get to grips with and I'm still not to grips with. And there are apparently a lot of ways in which I could have affected the outcome of quests that I've done more if I'd have gone off and done other things. But I think that's going to be for second playthrough, Sarah, to find out. For now, I'm just happy that I got to this point without dying or giving up. I've also seen some quite amazing things there's a lot of sort of pretty things to discover in the the world of Grancis which is where the game is set and now that I'm not afraid of leaving the roads or of accidentally ending outside at night and being torn apart by wolves I've gone off road a little bit and explored and found some really interesting stuff I'll give you guys another update when I finish this last part of the game and just let you know if my luck suddenly changed for the worse, or if something really surprising and strange happened. In the meantime, thanks for listening to this episode, and I'll see you in the next one. Bye!